This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week, Joe Biden traveled to Israel, becoming the first U.S. president to visit the country at a time of war. I come to Israel with a single message. You're not alone. It followed a marathon act of shuttle diplomacy by his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who'd spent days travelling in the region, touching down in over seven countries, amid rising tension following the brutal attack on Israel mounted by Hamas on October the 7th. Biden had multiple aims to show American support for Israel, ease the humanitarian disaster unfolding in Gaza, win the freedom of hostages held by Hamas, especially those with American citizenship. As the American president, there's no higher priority than the release and safe return of all these hostages. And to prevent a wider regional conflict that might even draw in the United States. So how did Joe Biden do? Has he pulled the Middle East back from the brink, or is a wider war looming? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. The stakes were extremely high. Uh, You could argue the most critical foreign trip that Biden has made in his presidency. Julian Borger is The Guardian's world affairs editor, currently in Jerusalem. Uh, In terms of flying into a war zone at the brink of a a conflict that has the risk of escalating into something far bigger. So, Julian, the very first time an American president has flown into Israel at a time of war, uh, that made a lot of uh, impact in Israel. But what was his own agenda? What did the president want to get from this trip? And did he get it? I think it was a partial success. Uh, He wanted, first of all, to show that the U.S. was a a staunch ally of Israel. And that helped in his second goal, which is to prevent this conflict and escalating into a a regional war, uh, to show deterrence, to show that the U.S. would stand by Israel. Uh, And at the same time, to some extent, stay Israel's hand when it came to hitting back for the 7th of October Hamas attack and make it think again about the plans for a ground invasion because of the likelihood that a humanitarian catastrophe would would follow in its wake. So those were the aims, prevent uh, a regional war, limit the humanitarian impact of uh, Israel's military response, 
And also, uh, there are American citizens, Palestinian Americans, who are trapped in Gaza, and one of the aims was to get those people out. And I noticed in the press gaggle, and we might explain to our audience what that is, but the sort of huddle of reporters on the president's plane on Air Force One on his way back to Washington, he said there that he put great emphasis on one part of what you were saying, which was the business of getting humanitarian aid through, that the Israelis had previously said they didn't want to allow that through this crossing where Gaza meets Egypt, and he had succeeded in first in quite you know small quantities that getting through and he made it seem as if well that's the number one thing he wanted and he'd got it um I, you know you've in a way said that there were bigger aims which perhaps you know whether uh, success was more limited he did though get really positive notices i mean in i things i've seen in the israeli press and the american press pretty good reviews for his trip especially for his skills and this is something we've talked about on the podcast a bit anyway, that very peculiar to Joe Biden, these skills as a kind of consoler of those in mourning. Yes, I think that came across really clearly in Israel. Uh, and as you say, the response has been really positive in Israel, just the way that he interacted with the survivors, with the first responders. And a, a number of the columnists have said, this is a president who truly loves Israel, who supports Israel. And so that is a, a success in terms of Israel and the Israeli government is readier because of that to listen to him when he came with this message of take a breath before you respond. He made the comparison with America after 9-11 and said, But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. Telling uh, Israel to learn from that. And that is a message, uh, I think, that he feels he was able to get across. So there hasn't been a ground invasion so far. And now you have the IDF talking as if they might not be this, this huge ground invasion that was initially expected. So... The fact that that hasn't happened yet, that uh, the Israeli military and the Israeli political leadership are thinking about that and thinking about the day after and the consequences, I think Biden would take that as, for now, his uh, number one success from this mission. Uh, and some of the notices did, uh, I think, praise a kind of emotional intelligence in what you've just described, which is if you want to make progress with Israel and with the Israelis, it really works to first absolutely show great affection and warmth and support in public or, or and even in private, but do that first, and then you can uh, offer the message of restraint. He sort of understood that that was the way you have to do it. And I know just before you and I uh, started this conversation, uh, you mentioned to me that this notion that Joe Biden was in a way simultaneously hugging Israel, and at the same time, tying their hands. That's right. There was this moment when he got off the Air Force One uh, on arrival in Tel Aviv, and he reached out his hand to shake Benjamin uh, Netanyahu's hand. And instead, Netanyahu enfolded him in this em embrace. Um, and it was a really interesting moment because, first, it has implications for 
Joe Biden and how he's seen the rest of the region. Will the U.S. be seen as an honest broker or did he just come to embrace uh, Israel? But Israelis have seen it in another way and they've seen this this hug as potentially a bear hug that will tie Israel's hands to restrict its freedom of maneuver when it comes to responding to the Hamas attack. And they saw that in Biden being invited to take part in the war cabinet. They say this is the first time you have Americans not outside lending support, but inside the room uh, having an influence on what we can and cannot do when it comes to Israeli def- self-defense. And there have been a number of columnists in uh, in the Israeli press, conservative centrists, saying this is a step that Netanyahu has taken that his predecessors uh, haven't, and this may be a problem for us down the line. You mentioned about the bear hug and the kind of optics of that and how that might have been received in the Arab capitals in the region or other capitals in the region. Um, That had been part of the plan. I mean, Joe Biden had hoped to have face-to-face meetings with the King of Jordan, the President of Egypt, with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, None of those happened. They were cancelled at the last minute because of the blast at the major hospital uh, in Gaza. Uh, which has been the subject of you know contested accounts, but Joe Biden made a point of saying once or as soon as he landed that he believed it was not the result of an Israeli airstrike, but instead a misfired rocket from um, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Nevertheless, the view, the initial view that had taken hold that it was Israel behind it, led to the cancellation of those meetings. How big a blow? For Joe Biden, was it that in the end it was just a one-stop shop? It was just this trip to Israel rather than a wider regional mission? I think it's a, a serious problem. I mean, he has been unlucky in those terms because of this particular set of events, the, the terrible, devastating bombing of this hospital, and then the initial belief that it was an Israeli airstrike, which was then contradicted. And so you had Biden coming in, taking sides immediately on this very emotive issue. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not not you. Siding with Israel. And that colored the whole uh, mission. Uh, it made it look lopsided. The absence of the personal uh, meeting with the Sisi, King Amdola and Mahmoud Abbas um, he sets great store by personal contact, by personal interaction. Uh, he has all his through his career, and so that took away a very important part of what he was trying to do, which was to hold America's Arab allies together with Israel and not let it uh, lead to a huge schism, and perhaps you know even the 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 collapse of the Abraham Accords. Yeah, so that was um, a blow for him. And everything had been meticulously planned. Obviously, you can't uh, plan for events like the one at the Al-Akhli Hospital. But meticulously planned with in the role of Sherpa, his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, who had been travelling uh, in the Middle East for days and days and days, this sort of five-day 
diplomatic marathon prompting comparisons with uh, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who did something very similar. It went on for much longer during the Yom Kippur War in 1973. But he was blinking back and forth, Egypt, Bahrain, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, a couple of those places he was there twice. Um, what contribution do you think that shuttle diplomacy that Tony Blinken was engaged in, what, 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 what contribution did that make to the Biden visit? I think, first of all, Blinken's shuttle diplomacy bought time. Uh, it bought time before the Israelis moved in uh, into Gaza with the ground invasion. They, they built up this huge force along Gaza's borders, and they seemed to be ready to move. But uh, Biden, Baba Blinken's arrival, his participation in the war cabinet, and his shuttling around the region helped by a, f a few days um, and achieved the primary objective, which was not to start the, the dominoes falling of the uh, Israelis moving into Gaza, Hezbollah having made the threat to intervene, uh, stepping in, uh, and then it would only be a relatively short hop, uh, potentially, for Iran to get involved if, if Israel struck back at Iran for its backing of Hezbollah and you would very quickly have uh, a regional war. Uh, the fact that that didn't happen could be attributed in some part to Blinker's diplomacy. Yeah, and, and this very, which we've touched on, this striking image of Blinken sitting there in that, uh, in the deliberations of Israel's war cabinet, on one level, solidarity, on another but it's been perceived as him exercising a sort of restraining hand on the steering wheel and saying, you know, uh, no rush to uh, an escalating war. Um, you know, we know a lot about Joe Biden. He's been around a very, very long time. We know much less about his Secretary of State. Tony Blinken, Anthony Blinken, was not a figure who was in elected uh, politics before, unlike, for example, Barack Obama's Secretaries of State, Hillary Clinton and John Kerry, both of them, you know, huge political figures, both former presidential nominees. Tony Blinken has no, has never run for office, as far as I know, and we know much less about him. What can you, what light can you shed on who is Tony Blinken? Because he's been an important figure through this week. Yeah, he's very much a, a creature of the, the Washington foreign policy establishment. He's been uh, very much been at uh, Biden's side from the time of the Senate Foreign uh, Relations Committee when Blinken was his chief of staff. Uh, he's very much the sort of alter, alter ego of Biden. But whereas Biden is... Uh, uh, sort of loquacious and extra extravagant and makes lots of gaffes. Blinken is very controlled, very measured, and very uh, efficient at getting things done within the, st the State Department. Uh, so he is very much part of the Biden op operation. And uh, and unlike the other, you know, his predecessors as Secretary of State that you've mentioned. It is not a sort of political threat. He doesn't have his own political base. And so it's very much an operation in which the White House and the State Department are hand in glove, which is not, as you know, always the case. Right, because often there are rival 
uh, centres of power. What can you tell us about jo- Tony Blinken's sort of worldview? I mean, you've said how similar he is to Joe Biden, but just some of how his own background, because he has talked a bit about his own personal upbringing, some members of his own family, and how they've shaped the way he sees the world. Yes, his his grandfather survived. Uh, he comes from a Jewish family. His grandfather su- survived pogroms in uh, in Russia. His stepfather was uh, a survivor of the the camps and the Holocaust. And he repeatedly says this where he comes from in terms of it shaped him in his outlook on on life on on uh, foreign policy. And he raised it when he was in. Uh, Israel and at the Ministry of Defense, he said, I have just come. Not only as the United States Secretary of State, but also as a Jew. And this was, you know, a, a very much welcomed in Israel, but caused him problems elsewhere. He was criticized by Turkish President Erdogan, said, well, what if a Muslim came to you? Would you have the same empathy? Uh, he was lectured by the Egyptian president, Sisi, uh, had to sit there and uh, have a lecture uh, from Sisi uh, who addressed him as, well, you're a Jewish citizen, and gave him a long talk about uh, how uh, Jews had never been persecuted in uh, Egypt, which was not true. But he had to sort of sit through it. So as with Biden, he has faced the same problem. He, He has sought to emphasize his empathy with Israel and what Israel suffered with the Hamas attack of the 7th of October. But that has exacted a, a price from the Islamic and Arab world, which is up wondering whether the US and its representatives, Blinken and Biden, had the same empathy for the 2.3 million people now trapped in Gaza. Well, let's talk about that exact point about the wider region and how they see this. Uh, The big move militarily that the United States has made is bringing in those two aircraft carriers into the Mediterranean, both named after former Republican presidents. There's a Gerald R. Ford and a Dwight Eisenhower aircraft carriers. This is big equipment. This is a big stick. What is the purpose of that, and what message uh, is Tony Blinken and, and Joe Biden together sending with this with this deployment? It's mainly a, a deterrent. Obviously, that the overriding aim is to de- uh, deter or t- to stop a regional war, uh, and this is to a show of force, a show of resol- resolve that the U.S. is not uninterested in what happens there. Um, there was an Israeli report that, uh, after Biden's visit. Uh, that suggested that he had offered that U.S. would fight side by side with the IDF in the event of a Hezbollah attack. He was asked that on the plane going home, and he said, no, not at all. Uh, That's not true. We never said that. Uh, The spokesman for the National Security Council, uh, John Kerber, was asked more about that, said, what is... And he said, yeah, we've always said we're not going to put combat troops on the ground. He was asked, what's the point of having these two aircraft carriers and their strike groups if you say in advance you're not going to get involved and the response was they are there to protect our interests if the commander-in-chief decides at any later date that those interests are under threat then they will be used so it is it's a deterrent but not 
one that implies that the the U.S. is about to uh, go to war with Israel in the event of a Hezbollah attack. Yeah, I thought the choice of words there was significant because he said, "Not we're not going to do boots on the ground. Well, nobody was talking about boots on the ground. They were talking about air support from those aircraft carriers. And therefore, that seemed to me to fall into that category of the non-denial denial. But just clearly, but clearly they are very concerned about a wider regional war that may even, as you've been saying, explain the trip that Joe Biden made. Um, is that also how we should understand the emphasis uh, Biden put on humanitarian aid getting into Gaza, that yes, partly it's care and compassion for those 2.2, 2.3 million Gazans, but also the worry that if a humanitarian disaster is unfolding in Gaza, that will inflame opinion in the wider region and make put pressure on those governments, including in, in on Hezbollah, to go to war. Yeah, absolutely. And beyond the region, if the... Uh, the deaths of uh, Palestinians in Gaza, you know, continue at this c- current rate, and they are f- facing dying of th- thirst, hunger, lack of medical supplies. So they're they're on the brink of a, a humanitarian catastrophe. That will have an impact around the world, and you could see attacks on not only Israel, Israelis, Israeli embassies, but also on the U.S. and Israel's other Western backers, you could see uh, a return to the age of, of you know, widespread terrorism around the world. I think you know the impact of such a catastrophe would be felt worldwide, and it could reverberate for for many years. So that is obviously what was front and center in Joe Biden's mind and in the mind of the administration. Nevertheless, we do talk about politics here, and politics is never completely far away. Um, What will this mean for Joe Biden politically? Do you think Americans back home will care? Will it move the needle at all? Um, What was the the sort of domestic political stakes of this trip? Yes, I think it it is, as every foreign crisis is, a test of his leadership, a a test of his uh, standing in, in the world. And on the whole... Because Israel has given him good reviews on how he's carried himself, that will have uh, a knock-on effect in U.S. politics and in U.S. Uh, public opinion when it comes to his approval ratings. Uh, as always, foreign policy doesn't always, uh, very rarely plays an important part in, in American politics, but it helps the, the overall perceptions of Biden as a leader. As you know, uh, Julian, we do always like to ask a what else question, something completely different. Uh, Back in Washington, the search continues as you and I speak for a House speaker to replace Kevin McCarthy. Jim Jordan has tried and failed uh, as you and I talk. Um, Just in terms of how it affects the way America is perceived in the region where you are right now and in the wider world, the political dysfunction back home, do you think that in any way saps or drains America's perceived authority in the world? Yes, absolutely. It doesn't help to have a dysfunctional political system back home. Uh, it does raise questions over whether an American leader can deliver on what he promises because uh, spending has to go through Congress. 
And so when it comes, for example, to promising aid to Ukraine, promising military aid to uh, Israel, that ultimately has to go through Congress. And the fact that 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 House is in turmoil means that all these things, all this processing of uh, U.S. foreign policy gets held up. And so that that inevitably will cast a shadow on the role of a U.S. president abroad. Julian Borger, World Affairs Correspondent for The Guardian, thanks so much for talking to us for Politics Weekly America. A pleasure, thanks. And that is all from me for this week. The producer was Yolene Goffa. The executive producers this week were Maz Ebtahaj and Nicole Jackson. Now, a word about The Guardian. We are open to anyone who wants to read us, but close to billionaires who might want to tell us what to do. Some fear us, others defend us. We've been ranted at, raved about, laughed at, and often laughed with. But thanks to our readers, we have never been and will not be controlled. So join millions of others around the world. And please do support The Guardian at support.theguardian.com. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.